Holy Spirit, by the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So raise our hearts to your joy, to your truth, to hope and light this night. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The human story begins in a garden. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He ordered creation. He blessed it with his presence. And God created man in his own image, male and female. And he placed them in a garden to tend and to keep it. Human beings were made to bring forth fruit, to be fruitful and multiply, not only in a biological sense of conceiving and bearing children, although that's certainly part of it, but at every level to become participants in God's work, receiving life from God and sharing that life with his creatures in his name. From the beginning, our first human vocation has been to cultivate God's good world, to receive its goodness as a gift from God and offer it back to him in thanksgiving and praise. Now tonight, we've heard the story about how that fundamental human vocation faltered and failed. How the first woman and the first man refused to bear divine life and bring forth fruit. Instead, they believe the lie that God is holding out on them. They snatch at fruit that has not been given. They try to seize divine life as their own. They're attempting to possess the image while denying the original. They imagine that they can be like God without God. That works about as well as you would expect. And when God comes seeking after them, calling Adam's name, Adam runs and hides. When God asks what happened, Adam blames Eve. And Eve blames the serpent. The one who made and sustains them, who they walked with in the garden, now suddenly is perceived as a menace. The beloved has become an enemy, an opponent. Creation ceases to be a gift and is seen instead as a threat, or at best, a target. And the vocation of life-giving and fruitfulness becomes instead the locus of conflict and suffering. God says, I will surely multiply your pain, where? In childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. You see the breakdown of these most fundamental human relationships. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. We see the breakdown of the human relationship with creation. God speaks an oracle of judgment, but so we're clear this is not just some kind of arbitrary punishment. As Rusty Reno writes in his commentary on Genesis, their punishment is to have what they have chosen. When they choose to pursue life apart from God, they sunder themselves from life itself because God is life. There is no life apart from God. At the end of Genesis 3, God sees the man and the woman cowering in their shame, and their blame, and their fearfulness, and he takes pity on them. It says, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins 
and clothed them. But pause for a moment to consider this question, where did the skins come from? Scripture simply says God made garments and clothed them, but the meaning seems clear. Skin is meant to preserve the bodily integrity of a living creature. The consequence of human sin, the cost of showing mercy for human sin, is that something has to die. This is the unavoidable result of our human attempt to overthrow God and seize life on our own terms. Instead of bearing fruit, we destroy it. Instead of bringing forth life, we deal out death. And from that day forward, the human story has re-echoed this sinful and broken pattern. And we've heard it over and over again in these readings. How Pharaoh tries to grasp and hold on to the Israelites. He tries to possess them and reaps destruction as the waves overwhelm him. How Nebuchadnezzar seizes and flings the three young servants of God into the fiery furnace, killing his own soldiers in the heat of his rage. How we ourselves in the crowd shout for Pilate to lay hold of and crucify this Jesus, as we did yesterday at noon. We're death dealers too, you know. We snatch at life all the time. We're trying to be perceived in the right way, trying to manipulate and control others, grasping at whatever comforts or satisfactions we think will fulfill us. So desperate. In all kinds of mundane, everyday ways, and they're such small, ordinary-seeming ways. We demand our chance to possess divinity on our terms. And the end point of all our small, terrified, spiteful acts of human rebellion is the cross. That first act of snatching the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, trying to possess and own it, wanting to be like God without God, can lead nowhere else than this tree and this bitter fruit. This cruel agony and death, where in the person of Jesus, the union of God and humanity is seized and murdered. Because this is what sinful humanity does, given the opportunity. And God gave us the opportunity. We lay hands on life incarnate, and we put him to death. And on the cross, this is not at all what we intended, but on the cross, all our sinful dreams and hopes and aspirations die with Jesus. Because there is no life apart from God. If he dies... Life dies with him. His death is our death. Like Adam and Eve, our punishment, the punishment of this whole God-denying, death-dealing world is to have what we've chosen, which is death. But in our shame and our blame and our fear, God has mercy on us even though the cost of God's mercy for our human sin is that someone has to die. The cross is the end point of human rebellion because this is where rebellion takes us, but the cross is also where rebellion itself is put to death. This tree on a hill called Calvary is God's answer to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because this man, Jesus, doesn't do what Adam did. He doesn't snatch at life and try to possess it apart from the Father. Instead, he surrenders his life 
and hands it over to the Father. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So that only at the Father's hands and according to the Father's will can he receive it back again. Adam's rebellion poisoned the ground and brought a curse on creation, but the blood that spills from the cross of Jesus Christ waters the injured earth. His wounded body is laid in the ground like a seed. It rests there all through Holy Saturday. And early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, the stone is rolled away and hope springs up from the earth again. The seed of our Lord's buried body that died germinates and breaks forth and bears fruit. From the grave of Adam, from the tomb of humanity, from the dust and dry bones of a hopeless, dying and death-dealing world, life appears. A new man, a new Adam, the firstborn of a new creation, no longer at enmity with itself, humanity no longer with anything to fear. Flesh and bone that can stand and truly live because it's indwelt once again by the living word of God, by the spirit that breathed over creation and brought it to life in the first place. The human story begins in a garden. And here in a garden, the human story begins again. It's no accident that Mary Magdalene, gazing through the veil of her bitter tears, sees the risen Lord and thinks he must be the gardener. She doesn't recognize him for who he he is. Of course she doesn't. She saw him die. But when she concludes that this man must be the gardener, she's not wrong. In the risen Jesus, we see a man finally made what human beings were always intended to be, fulfilling our fundamental human vocation. As Father Alexander Schmemann would say, he's the true priest of creation, receiving all things as a gift from God and offering them back to God again in thanksgiving and praise as a means of communion with God. Mary sees him, but she doesn't recognize him as Jesus until he does what God always does when he creates. He speaks her name, Mary. He calls her into life. And then she knows, Rabboni, she shouts, my master, my teacher. And it must be that she rushes to him because his response begins, do not cling to me, which always seems like a rather strange way to begin. All her hopes and aspirations died in this man's death, and here he is alive again. Of course, she wants to take hold of him. What would be more natural? But maybe in light of this story of our sin and God's salvation, maybe we can understand what's going on here. Like all of us sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, Mary has to die to her old way of knowing and doing and being in the world. Our impulse, and it's so deeply ingrained, is to snatch at life and cling to it. But Jesus offers a new way, which is the true way of being human. Not seizing and trying to take hold of God, but as Mary Magdalene does, 
allowing herself to be taken hold of in the divine embrace, to be caught up in his life. I've not yet ascended, he says. To be made a vessel of divine love that can spill over through obedience as she runs to tell his beloved disciples, he's alive, I have seen the Lord. She's heard him speak, she's touched his risen body. The seed of Adam, the fruit of Eve's womb has burst forth from the grave and he's restoring women and men to life again. Because don't you see, the moment that Mary receives that life through obedience, she immediately becomes a life giver. She's transformed. All of a sudden, she has something to offer, not just something to snatch and try to hold. She's made spiritually fruitful as she bears the word of this life on her lips. I've seen the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is our hope this night. This is the message of Easter. Not just a palliative for our pain, not just comfort in our grief, not just consolation in this age-old sorrow, not just something to grasp onto. Life from the dead. God himself pursuing us all the way into the tomb where we had enclosed ourselves. God himself searching us out and calling each of us by name. God himself taking up human flesh and doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, becoming the true Adam that Adam failed to be, so that in him, in Jesus, we can become the true humanity that we were created to be. Do not cling to me, he says. Rather, let me take hold of you and carry you through the floodwaters, through the very grave and gate of death to hope on the other side. I've passed through death and I know the way. Don't snatch in fear any longer, but stretch out your open hands and receive the gift. My body that was dead and is alive again. My blood of the new covenant that was shed but now courses through my veins. Not just to make you come alive, but to make you life-giving, to make you fruitful. To a sorrowing world, announcing this message of the fullness of joy. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia.